When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a crowd podcast. You know what they say about boys? They just want their father's approval when it comes down to it. Doesn't matter how old you get, what your dad's actually like, you still need it, whether you know or not. And when you find out about Marvin Gaye, not just the songs and the voice or the look or the dope, that's what you realise it's all about. Him and his dad at the start. Him and his dad different but the same. Him and his dad fighting, warring, unable to tear themselves apart. It's there all the way through. When he's a kid at Motown, wanting to be Sinatra, all smart suits and crooning and polish. It's in the mad paranoia that runs through his first number one. Heard it through the grapevine. You know it. It's there in the way he tries to break away. When he takes soul music to new places, new sounds, on albums from half a century back that sound like they were made today. When he loses himself in what his dad calls sin and what he calls the hot stuff, women, cocaine, the strangest, most messed up fantasies you'll ever hear. There's so much happiness in some of his songs, so much sweetness to that voice that you almost want to be him. He's the new sound of black America. That's what the hype men say. Then he brings sex into music, but like it's never been done before, like an angel and a devil all at the same time. He sings about war and peace, about being lost and found. It seems like three different crazy geniuses all in one man. And all the way through, the shadows stretch and the darkness calls. A world that's falling apart. A man caught between adoration and loathing. An escape that takes him back to the source of all that pain. And when it comes to an end, it's him and his dad again, fighting, warring, unable to tear themselves apart. The sweetest voice you ever heard, a life that's all out of tune, the sort trouble, the sort you're born into, the sort you find. And Marvin, he can find all the trouble he wants. Nothing's ever easy for Marvin, all the way back to the start. His dad had it hard, one of 13 kids, a family of sharecroppers from the deep south. The escape? It's the long trek north, like so many others. Government projects in Washington, D.C., same city as the White House, the Lincoln Memorial, but so far away from the power, the wealth, 
It's about the church for his dad, not the sort you might have been to. His own church, run out of his house, his front room, speaking in tongues, waiting for the spirit to come, speaking of sin and damnation and the fires of hell. He's not officially a minister. He's not ordained. He just does it. Lays down the law, the holy word, the fear. The Sabbath begins on a Friday night. No dancing, no bare shoulders, no makeup for women, no Christmas for anyone. He says he can heal people, Marvin's dad. Says he's got the power. He doesn't do much else, doesn't work, not really, doesn't earn a wage. So it's Marvin's mum who's putting food on the table, going out early, cleaning the houses of the powerful and the wealthy. It's his mum who shows the love. His dad? He says he never wanted Marvin, never liked him. He says, you're not my kid. Marvin wets the bed and his dad beats him. His dad likes to stretch it out. Tells him he's going to beat him and then waits. Sends him to his room, lets him hear him take his belt off. Lets him hear the buckle jangle. Waits an hour. Long, stretched out minutes of fear and terror. Then he comes in. And only then. All the kids get beaten. He makes them take their clothes off first, and then the belt starts swinging and snapping. Marvin's sister says he wouldn't stop till he could see broken skin. Here's how Marvin remembers it. Living with my father was like living with a peculiar, cruel king. You were supposed to tiptoe around his moods. He says if he comes home a minute late, it's like he's broken all ten commandments. So he grows up shy. When he wants to talk, he sings. That's how it all comes out. He sings doo-wop on the street corners. He sings in the high school playground, on buses in backyards. And when he sees the effect it has on men, on women, he feels like he's been given some holy gift. People change when Marvin sings. They notice him now. They seem to like him. He admires Frank Sinatra, his style, how smooth he is. Like it's all polished, like there's nothing wrong in his world except a little heartbreak and a woman who can put it right. He loves Billie Holiday, the voice, the pain wrapped around it. He says, when Lady Day sings, she turns herself inside out. Great artists suffer for the people. That's what he's thinking. But he's still an outsider, singing on the bus, looking out at Washington and the statues and monuments. Thinks to himself, all these marvelous treasures belong to white people. He isn't allowed friends around his house. He's not sure many would come if they were asked. There's something else about his dad, something all the kids in the neighborhood know. His dad likes dressing up in women's clothes, borrows his wife's shoes, pants, stockings, wears a wig sometimes. And so Marvin is trapped. He wants to beat up the kids who tease him, but he's too scared. Then he's afraid he's like his dad, 
too soft to fight anyone but his own kids. His mom tells a story. It's the one about two mice drowning in a bowl of milk. One of them panics, screams. That's the mouse that goes under, the one that drowns. The other mouse, it just keeps going, kicking and kicking, keeping its nose up. And as it kicks, the milk turns to cream and the cream turns to butter and the mouse climbs out and escapes. You grow up with that and where do you go? Anywhere. You just gotta go. Marvin joins the US Air Force. It's a disaster because he's a young black kid and he's a singer. He says, I went in to learn to fly and wound up peeling potatoes. Some things change. He loses his virginity, but in a brothel just off the airbase. How does he remember it? Four hookers for 2,000. And some things don't change. He rebels against all that Air Force authority. Has to pretend he's crazy just to get out. On his discharge form, there's a phrase that sums him up. Marvin Gaye cannot adjust to regimentation and authority. So he makes changes himself. He's always hated his surname. As a shy kid, as a boy whose dad wears dresses, says all anyone has to do is put an is in front of it. It's Marvin Gaye. So he adds an E at the end. G-A-Y-E. Starts thinking about his singing style. Who this new man should be. He starts hanging out at Motown in Detroit. There's never been a record label like it. Sort of based on the Ford car factories in the city, like a production line of hits. It's run by a black man, Barry Gordy, and he's the one making the serious money. See, at Ford, you're on a wage, and it's the same at Motown. Songwriters compete with each other. Producers, musicians, singers too. Smokey Robinson, The Supremes, Stevie Wonder, The Four Tops. It's about pop music, about taking black sounds and selling it to white kids. Barry Gordy makes his artists go to charm school, learn how to walk and talk, how to hold a mic, giving them white middle-class manners, discipline. Diana Ross, she's good with that. Marvin's not. He wants to sound black, look black. He likes the rasp in his voice now, not just the smooth stuff. Authority? This is how Marvin deals with the boss. He starts dating Barry Gordy's big sister. She's 17 years older. It won't end well, but we'll get to that. For now, it sort of works. She's good for him, encourages his music, teaches him a few things. She's shy, insecure. That works for him. He also knows she can help him jump the queue in the recording studio, get ahead of all the others. What does Diana Ross do? She starts dating Barry Gordy himself. That's how this is working. And there's always darkness with Marvin. Even as his career starts flying, always trouble. They're singing about sex when you've grown up obsessed with sin. There's hating your dad, but knowing he's in you too. Marvin says he's not attracted to men, but he sees himself as a woman. Sometimes says he likes women's clothes too. Says he indulges himself sometimes, but won't say what that means. 
He'll just feel the shame and guilt for days and weeks afterwards. And it all comes out in his first number one song. Heard It Through the Grapevines already been a hit for Gladys Knight. She does a great version, lovely piano riff, funky rhythm, call and response like the church. Marvin's version? That's paranoia. It's slower, ominous. It's purgatory, sad and menacing at the same time. He sounds like he believes it because he does. This is him and Anna, married now, but never faithful. Never till death do us part. You could have told me yourself that you love someone else. It sells four million copies and it's pure genius. The way he sings it, there's a recording you can find on YouTube, just his vocals, everything else stripped away. You hear Marvin sing like that and you want to be him, but you don't. Not when you hear the rest. He sings duets with another woman, Tammy Terrell. They're beautiful, sweet love songs to match those sweet harmonies. You're all I need to get by. That's one of them. Ain't no mountain high enough, pure and simple. And then one night she collapses while they're performing. Marvin catches her, carries her off stage, follows her to hospital. They find out she's got a tumour on the brain. They operate, then again and again. And all this time, Marvin's come closer to going under. The success? He doesn't think he deserves it. Wonders if it's all down to marrying the boss's sister after all. Says he feels like a puppet. Anna's puppet. Berry Gordy's puppet. He doesn't like what success brings, the fame, the attention. Doesn't like what you have to do. His dad doesn't like it either. It's all sin. It's all wrong. Diana Ross and the Supremes, they endorse everything. There's even a Supremes white bread. Marvin gets the irony. Not everyone does. And when Tammy Terrell dies from brain cancer, Marvin sinks deeper still. Depression, doubt, and self-loathing. That's where he is as the 70s begin. And that's where we'll pick up the story after this short break. Hello, Rockstar listeners. It is Tom here. Now, I'm one of the writers on the show and was behind quite a few of the episodes, ones like George Michael, John Lennon, Donny Hathaway and Otis Redding. I wanted to tell you quickly about DistroKid, who we've partnered with to provide Rockstar listeners with a special deal that we think you will love. Are you a musician and wondering how you can get more bang for your buck with your music? Well, get yourself on DistroKid. That's D-I-S-T-R-O-K-I-D. DistroKid is revolutionising the music business. It's the easiest way for musicians to get music onto places like Spotify, Apple, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube. Well, you name it, they can get it there. You get unlimited uploads. You'll enjoy more features than any other music distributor and you'll get to keep 100% of your earnings. Here are just some of the things that it lets you do. 
Okay, easily pay your collaborators with a special feature called splits. Send huge files to anyone with their InstaShare feature. Make mini videos to use on your socials. And stop sneaky thieves stealing your music and using it without your permission with their distro lock feature. There's also an app where you can see your DistroKid account in one place. Check your Apple and Spotify stats and withdraw earnings. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. So head to the Apple Store or Google Play to download it. And here is the best bit. They're offering you guys a special deal. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash death of a rockstar to get 30% off your first year. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash death of a rockstar for 30% off your first year. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Everything's changing now. The 60s are over. Nixon in the White House, escalation in Vietnam, riots in Detroit, in LA, on college campuses, oil slicks and acid rain, paranoia spreading to the heart of the nation. Diana Ross goes solo, ditches the Supremes, aims for the stars. Marvin, he's holed up in his apartment with a gun, threatening to kill himself or anyone who comes in. He's grown a beard. You don't grow a beard at Motown. It's too threatening, too messy. But he doesn't want to look harmless anymore. He wants to be honest. He stays in, reads the papers, watches the news. He talks to his kid brother back from Vietnam. He hears what's really happening to young black men when they're out there. What's happening when they come back and should be safe. And because it's Marvin, it comes out in his singing, all that drama and fear, and the little hope too. He writes one song, asks the question on his mind, What's going on? It's paranoid, but it's beautiful too. Harmonies and sadness, soft strings and new hope. He's almost three singers in one now, a smooth tenor, that old rasp, a falsetto that soars and flies and carries you with it. You hear it now and it still holds you tight. You hear it, then it blows your mind. Unless you're the boss of Motown. The worst piece of crap I ever heard. That's what Berry Gordy calls him. What he thinks is, white America's not buying this. Not the truth. Not now. Marvin against Berry 
employee against the boss, brother-in-law against brother-in-law, one version of black America against another. And this time, the singer wins. He says, put it out or I'll never work for you again. So Gordy does. And it spends five weeks at number one in the US R&B chart. The album that follows flies, wins awards everywhere, touches people, changes them. He's not the first soul man to sing about poverty, about dope, about life. Curtis Mayfield's been doing it. The Temptations, Isaac Hayes. But it's all real with Marvin. On the cover of the record, with the collars of his black jacket turned up against the rain. Sin and redemption on every track. Songs of hope and despair and inner city blues. It changes him too, in some ways. It's so big, it gets him his freedom. Motown give him a million dollar contract when black performers aren't getting million dollar contracts. He buys a house for his parents in LA, big place, detached all trees in the garden and dark gables, a house from a son who's made it, from a son to feel proud of. But the next album's about sex and nothing else, and his dad hates it. His wife Anna hears the vibe and choruses about getting it on. She knows it's not about her, and she guesses the rest. Marvin, he catches Anna with another man, says a strange force led him to the right motel and the right room. He admits something else too says he's always been obsessed with the idea of another man making love to his woman. Says the man is always more powerful than he is. He writes another album as he divorces his wife. It's called Here, My Dear. And it's brutal. All about her, what they did, how they feel. The kicker is Barry Gordy who has put it out. The record about his sister, her flaws, her sins. I told you it didn't end well. Because trouble follows Marvin everywhere. The sort you're born into, the sort you find. And this is where it gets darker still. Marvin marries again. Remember what he says about sin, the hot stuff? Now he can't stay away from it. He's always been into weed, says it helps him listen to music properly. Hear stuff others don't. Then he gets into coke. It gets him to the studio when he's feeling low, helps him stay up late working on tracks. And he never seems to regret it. He tells someone, no one can tell me it's not a good feeling. A clean, fresh high, especially in the morning will set you free. Think that's trouble. He marries again. And he makes his wife sleep with other men. Because that's his worst nightmare. So he confronts himself with it. Punishes himself. He's in money trouble too. He's an amazing singer, but he's not a businessman. By the start of the 80s, he owes almost $5 million in tax. He goes to Europe on tour, takes his young son with him, and he can't perform on stage because of the coke and the paranoia. 
He's sweating, disorientated, can't remember the words he's meant to be singing. His jacket looks like he's slept in it. When he's done, he holds up in a tiny flat in London. Someone from the record company goes round and hears what they see. Dirty laundry on the floor, dirty takeaway cartons on top. Marvin's in bed, his son's crawling round the floor, saying he's hungry. He's finished. That's what the record company think. That's what Marvin thinks. And this is where it takes another weird turn. There's a music promoter in Belgium. He's always loved Marvin. The voice, the songs, the look. He's always believed in him. So he says, come and live with me. Stay at mine, get well. We'll do the concerts, make you some money. You're living like that, and where do you go? Anywhere, you just got to go. So Marvin catches the ferry. There's no money for a flight. One of the most famous singers in the world gets the train to Ramsgate in Kent. Walks onto a ferry and crosses the channel to a place he's never been. Who has? You ever been to Ostend? This is what it's like. A long beach, windswept and bleak. High-rise hotels along the seafront. The odd tram clanking along. Everything closed up when Marvin gets there in the middle of February. There's an interview he does in that soft voice of his, all damage and shyness. He says, I'm an orphan at the moment, and Ostend is my orphanage. He says, there are places I would probably rather be, but I probably need to be here. He goes running in the sand dunes in his Adidas tracksuit, white top, purple bottoms. He works the heavy bag at the local gym. He's surprised people care about him. He stays with the promoter's family, eating meals with them, being kept off the dope. He's almost normal again. Goes to a bar, plays darts against the old Belgian boys in there. One says to him in this heavy accent, where are you from, Paraguay? And Marvin looks at him, half smiles, half confusion and says, I'm from America, Paraguay? That's the crazy thing about this crazy story of Marvin Gaye in a dead seaside town. It works. He gets clean. He starts writing again. Hears the rhythm of the waves on the hard sand outside his window. Uses it for a new tune on an old theme. Sexual healing. But it can't last. He's got to go back to the States. And when he does, all the old troubles are there, waiting for him. He goes on tour. He's back on the coke. The paranoia returns. He thinks people are out to get him. Starts wearing a bulletproof vest. Insists all the road crew carry guns. He exposes himself. Collapses on another night. He says, I'm surrounded by evil. And so it comes back to the father. There's one place he thinks he can go. 
the big house in LA he bought for his parents when times seemed good. And that's where he stays for six months. The arguments growing, the blame and the loathing bubbling, building. His dad tells his little brother, if Marvin ever touches me, I'll kill him. Marvin says, I only have one father. I want to make peace with him. Christmas comes. What does Marvin give his dad? A gun. Why? Because he's scared of intruders. Because he's deep in the darkness. He goes days without leaving his bedroom. When he does... He's spotted wearing three coats. His shoes are on the wrong feet. He talks to his brother about suicide, seems obsessed with death, gets knocked over by a car and no one's sure if it's an accident or he's meant to step in front of it. His father argues with his mother. His father screams at him, says, I brought you into the world. I can take you out. This peculiar, cruel king laying down the law, the holy word, the fear. There's an argument about a lost letter, something from an insurance company. His dad shouting at his mum, Marvin running upstairs, yelling at him to stop. It never stops, not with his dad. He tells his dad to leave his mum alone. Nothing changes, so he shoves him, kicks him chases him from the bedroom to the bathroom. All those years of beating and screaming and belt strangling alive again in his head. Marvin's back in his own room when his dad comes in, holding the gun he's given him for Christmas, pointing it straight at him, shooting him once in the chest. Walking up to him as he slumps on the floor, shooting him again through his lung, his heart, his liver, his kidneys. And it's the screams of his mother that tell the world, that travel through the house, down the street, that bring neighbors and family and police. And this is what she's screaming. He shot Marvin. He's killed my boy. You want Marvin Gaye's life to make sense, to lead somewhere like his sweet vocal lines do, like his melodies lead you to the chorus and back to the verse again. But it falls away. The harmonies drop. The melodies break apart. When the police talk to his dad, he claims he was acting in self-defense. He says he had no idea there were actual bullets in the gun, that he thought they were blanks. His brother, the one who'd been in Vietnam, the one who inspired what's going on, he's first on the scene. He's the one who holds Marvin as he bleeds to death. And he says Marvin whispers something to him before he slips away. He says, I got what I wanted. I couldn't do it myself, so I had him do it. He says, it's good. I ran my race. There's no more 
left in me. When the police tell his dad his son is dead, his dad begins to cry. When they ask if he loved him, his dad says, let's say I didn't dislike him. Still waiting for his dad's approval when it comes down to it. All that trouble, the kind you're born with, the sort you find, that's Marvin Gaye. That's what the story's all about. This episode of Death of a Rockstar was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Elroy Spoonface Powell, Spoon the Voice Guy. It was edited by Phil Brown. For research, we read Divided Soul by David Ritz, Sweet Soul Music by Pete Gorelnik, After the Dance by Jan Gay, and Mercy, Mercy Me by Michael Dyson. We also watched several documentaries, including the BBC's What's Going On. The music we used in this episode is from our partners, BMG Production Music. Want to hear some Marvin? There's so much to choose from, but too busy thinking about my baby for the sweet stuff. Inner City Blues for how it could be today. And then got to give it up for the sample you'll recognise. Oh yeah, and that acapella version of Heard It Through the Grapevine. It is incredible. If this is your first episode, go and listen to our one about Otis Redding right now. And once you've done that, I recommend our episode about Elvis. And if you're a sports fan, we have another series called Death of a Sports Star. Check that out by searching for Death of a Sports Star in your podcast app. You'll find the stories of Kobe Bryant, Ayrton Senna and Diego Maradona. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Hello out there! Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like this. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzard. WMMS. Cleveland.
The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.